Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. As we're finishing up the year here in 2018, looking forward to 2019 when this show will air, we mark 20 years of Freedom's Ring Radio, 20 years, count them. And my colleague and our guest today, Lincoln Steed, has also served as editor of Liberty Magazine for about 20 years. So I thought it would be a good time for the two of us to get together and look back on key issues and developments over the past 20 years. Lincoln, a pleasure to have you with me on Freedom's Ring. It's always my pleasure. And to talk about 20 years, uh, I'm not sure pleasure is the word, because who could ever believe so much time could go by? But it's been an interesting ride. Well, you know, we're older and wiser for the passage (laughs) of time. But uh, 20 years ago, you know, really the uh, the seminal event, uh, well, let's see, we had... uh, you know, passage of the International Religious Freedom Act and the setting up of uh, State Department efforts exactly 20 years ago, the land use bill in 2000, and then 2001, the attack on the World Trade Tower that kind of shifted the ground in well, that's the, the way I was just thinking about it. Absolutely. You can almost divide those 20 years very neatly into before 9-11 and after 9-11, even though underlying issues might remain similar. The world shifted on its axis and religious liberty took on a whole different cast. Uh, before 9-11, uh, the big issue, if you remember, was uh, vouchers, of course, as a way to test the establishment clause and, and fund religion through a, sort of a sleight of hand or religious operations. There were issues that I perceived that still are with us, but no one talks about it. Homeschooling and and uh, the ability of parents to to teach their values, you know, against some government regulations. Of course, now it's shifted that uh, in a home, if if you tell them certain things about lifestyle, morality, and gay marriage and so on, you you could find yourself severely punished, even as a parent. So you say, you know, the terrorist attacks, the World Trade Center, 9-11, really shifted things. How do you see it shifting in terms of religious freedom? Well, what it did immediately, uh, twofold, I think, it immediately started a a rapid rollback on civil liberties in general, and you can't fool with civil liberties without affecting religious freedom, and it immediately uh, hardened attitudes which were already shifting, remember, with the the Branch Davidian siege and and moves against some wacky uh, religious groups, cults, but after 9-11... It became the war on terrorism, which uh, has, has become sort of code for a religious warfare between an alien form of religious expression and what is, you know, true blue American, a certain form of political Christianity that's uh, at the moment in a, a very strange and wonderful alliance with political power. You know, the uh, the religious groups that have come into their own and equating their religious view with being an American. You know, this whole conflict between Christianity and Islam, to me, is so tragic because, you know, in our work dealing with religious discrimination in employment, we represent 
to Muslim clients. And as I get acquainted with them, and I learn something about how they practice their religion and how they relate to God, all I see are similarities. Of course, we're accustomed to seeing differences. You know, well, what's different in your religion? But I see so many similarities in how they relate to God and how Christians relate to God, how they relate to the rules of their religion. You know, they've got rules. They're different rules in many respects than Christian rules. But many of them are the same. You know, how do they relate to their rules? It's been said there's a God-shaped void in every human heart. And, uh, in fact, science has been fishing toward trying to isolate uh, what that really is uh, without much success, but we clearly need religion. We thrive on it. It's something inherently uh, necessary for human existence to reach to the divine and to follow your conscience and worship him. So in that regard, absolutely, we have much in common. But uh, with the, uh, the war on terror, it's really taken on a tribal aspect, very visceral religious identity and a national identity or a political political national religious identity that can easily pit them against us. And it is the subtext to a lot of what's happening in the world. And of course, since the election of 2016, you know, it, it kicked off immediately with the, the exclusionary action against uh, people of a certain religion from several different countries. So, uh, you know, we're smack dab in the middle of religious prejudice. Well, I think that's true. I think that there has been a tendency to associate, you know, the stereotype Muslims as terrorists, um, we're fortunate. Of course, there are violent people in every religion. But um, you mentioned the erosion of civil rights in the wake of the response to 9-11. Um, how do you see that implicating religious freedom? Well, very much so. Things like, do you have privacy? Uh, it's not just that you have a right to practice religion. What that religion stands for has been double-guessed and quantified and categorized by the government anymore as a national security matter. And, and we haven't yet seen the full outworking of that, but I think we're far enough along to know that it, it's ominous. Uh, let me give another overview of what I see over, over that 20-year span with, with 9-11, not quite in the middle, actually closer to the beginning of it, but when it changed. Before that, in my estimation, most of what was going on in the U.S. had to do with testing the establishment clause. It was funding for religion and sort of a nod toward a certain religious viewpoint. But there was not much effort or need to restrict anybody in how they practice their religion. After that, uh, it, it shifted absolutely to uh, choosing. Uh, perhaps even a precursor to that, not just 9-11, was the faith-based initiative for President Bush. Uh, I remember we sat down once with one of his uh, uh, point people to the Justice Department, Cal Isbeck, nice guy, and and I said to him, you know, you're funneling money through the different religions uh, in in lieu of uh, social programs. Are you going to use them as proxies? But you, of necessity, will have to decide if a given church group is to be trusted with that government money. And of necessity, you're developing a list of acceptable and unacceptable religions. Uh, so, you know, that shifted on from an establishment point to now, is this religion suspect? Will we allow it? Or even to swap on the other side of the religion discussion, secularism has risen up a little, or the uh, moral side of it, and uh, religious views on certain moral behaviors have become under attack. So this is now practice of religion that is 
questioned. It's not just that you can believe what you want. You know, that was the attitude in the 60s. You know, it's fine. It's cool. Well, it's not cool anymore. Just to have certain views and worse, to speak or to act on those uh, is close to criminal in certain instances. Well, and there's no question that one of the areas that has shifted is where the, there was a unanimous left, right, and center support for liberty of conscience and uh, robust protection for religious freedom in the early 90s. Uh, that has eroded, and that is no longer. And remember and, something uh, that came in the meantime, even under the Obama administration, uh, a passing of P-A-R-S-I-N, not a passing, <laughs> passing of what religious freedom really meant to make a distinction between freedom of religious belief and freedom of religious practice. Uh, mm-hmm. Most every group of, of recent years in any country can sort of give a pretty even go to freedom of belief. But freedom of worship, freedom of religious practice, that is not as easily given now. And, of course, our to the north of us in Canada, uh, there's aggressive actions toward uh, certain Christian uh, attitudes, especially as relates to uh, morality, uh, where that's restricted directly, not just what you think. You cannot act on it. And I think the United States is moving rapidly toward that. Now, you mentioned the United Nations and their uh, declaration, because their original declaration went back further to the mid-last century. But uh, uh, in the United Nations, we've seen strong efforts by a number of states to criminalize religious hate speech. And uh, I, I look back on early issues of Liberty Magazine during this general time span, and uh, I, I got articles and put articles in there that were critical on hate speech or hate crime type uh, application against religion, because that's a double-edged sword. And uh, for one person, it may be the right to evangelize. For another person, it's hate speech. And you're, in essence, sure. criminalizing religious speech. And we are much further along on that, even in the West, even in the U.S., than we were 20 years ago and, and certainly before 9-11. Well, you know, but coming back to your theme, the whole Establishment Clause issue, I think, has taken a very interesting turn. So... You know, as you mentioned, throughout really from the period roughly the 70s, 80s, and 90s, there was a lot of litigation about government funding of religion, especially religious schools. One of my mentors, Lee Boothby, uh, was instrumental, brought a number of cases to the Supreme Court. In fact, I was admitted to practice at the Supreme Court uh, when one of those cases was argued, Mitchell versus Helms, back in 2000. Um, but what has shifted is, that, you know, the wall of separation as it has eroded has really led to a new kind of collaboration between the evangelical Christian movement and the Republican Party. And what yeah. was started in, you know, back in 1979 with the moral majority and all of that through the 80s and Pat Robertson's run for, for presidency and what have you has become a kind of a, you know, uh, apparently bizarre alliance between the evangelical Christian right and uh, President Donald Trump, uh, and really has obliterated any concept of the wall of separation between church and state. And that's their intention, of course. You you and I and and readers of Liberty know very well uh, that they've been attacking this wall of separation for a long time. 
being said publicly by many of these leading figures that are in this new religio-political alliance that they don't believe in the world of separation. It's not a constitutional concept, according to them. And uh, I, I've quoted for years uh, Bill Bright, long dead, founder of Cambridge Crusade. I remember him on TV saying it's a satanic concept. So when you have a religious group that is so convinced that their opposition are satanic, even uh, good people like us, that are trying to protect religion through separation of church and state. You've got the beginnings of what we've, we're decrying in Afghanistan with the Taliban. Well, there's no question that the Protestant ethos of separation and church and state is founded on uh, the dangers of church and state consolidating power and how it undermines the faith and how it's dangerous for uh, for our You're rights right. and for democracy. And that's a good word to and bring up here as, we, as we're talking 20 years you know, it's only now uh, a bare month since we were remembering 500 years of, of the Protestant Reformation. The United States culturally was an overwhelmingly Protestant country. The separation of church and state is at root a Protestant viewpoint. And I think uh, as Protestants, and of course working with Roman Catholics who more and more are seeing the value of this, we need to uphold this separationist value that enables full religious freedom in a modern democracy. And frankly, that's one of the reasons we do Freedom Spring here. And we've been doing it for 20 years, and we will continue doing it as God gives health and grace. Our guest today, Lincoln Steed, also for 20 years, editor of Liberty Magazine, the oldest and best magazine Amen. on religious freedom, on the web at libertymagazine.org. Lincoln, a pleasure as always. Don't forget, friends, freedom is definitely not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom Spring, on the web at religiousliberty.info, religiousliberty.info. This has been Freedom Spring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>